scripture reading this morning is from the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. And you can follow along in the blue pew Bible that's found right in front of you. Colossians 3.18 Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, Steve, or no, maybe somebody has a key, but uh, I've, I've, I've left a... Sh- I've left a sheet out of my sermon. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yellow sheet. Yellow sheet there. Um, and that's the first part, so let's just sit here a minute. No, I'm just... <laughs> this, uh, this section is paralleled in the pagan... Uh, society as well, the Greek society. This section actually, in fact, you can find in a philosopher Seneca and other philosophers, this same order, husbands, uh, yeah, husbands and wives, children and fathers, slaves and masters. And some, in some cases, there are parallel ideas. Uh, the, the concern for the order of the family was just all the way through the Roman Empire. And so we are, we're, it's interesting because we're, we're diving into something that has so much to do with common grace, has so much to do with every household in the world, and yet there are specific things about it, as we will see, that are governed strictly by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we'll see the wonderful uniqueness to which uh, Paul brings the life of Christ to bear on these issues. And I'd like to start with uh, chapter 3, actually, and just remind you of some of the things that we dealt with in chapter 3 and, and talk about these in anticipation of wives and husbands, children and fathers. Just so you... Oh, there's the man. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so, for instance, beginning in the uh, first few verses, and I hope you have your Bibles open in 1185, uh, very important to follow along here. When he says, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, this doesn't mean that you are absent from the most practical things in everyday life. The things above are the things directly related to your daily life, okay? So don't get that confused. Like, I'm supposed to be thinking of something up there all the time and not things down here, because that's what he says literally, right? Things above and not on the earth. But in the way he means it, to think on things above, is to think intensely about things on the earth, but to think on them from the above perspective. Above means uh, in Christ, living out the life of Christ, 
Uh, second thing is, notice in verse 4, when Christ, is your, uh, who's your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Bear in mind, wives, that this husband is destined for glory. Bear in mind, husbands, this wife is destined for glory. Bear in mind, children, your parents are destined for glory. And bear in mind, parents, your children are destined for glory. What kind of dignity, what kind of honor should we treat each other? This is part of the background uh, to this passage. Just to mention when he says, put to death sexual immorality and the like, these absolutely undermine all family relationships. Everything related to it. Uh, pornography, playboy, I've hated it now my whole life, is an absolute attack on every family relationship, the whole structure and meaning of family. We've said, I may have told some of you, I think I've told some of you this before, but my wife and I have said many times, as we are enjoying grandchildren and our children enjoying grandchildren with us, which is now a 35-year project, okay? 35 years have gone in to my holding my little grandchild. And we'll say that really beats the back seat of a car, doesn't it? You get my point. Just think of the difference. Think of the difference in one and the other. And always realize God is about that glorious continuity, that glorious uh, uh, joining together of families in love and devotion to one another. In uh, verses 8 and 9, when he says, put them all away, anger, wrath, and malice, and then later in verse 12, put on kindness, humility, and meekness. We'll talk about this more, but... These are absolutely a vital part, for instance, of husbands loving their wives, of wives submitting to husbands and children. Uh, So we're living out this new life that he says, putting to death these things and putting on the new uh, person you are in Christ. The first particular area he addresses after doing it in general with one another is you must do this in the home. So all of that content of chapter 3 of putting off and putting on and you're a new person and you have a new self in Christ, bring it to bear as husbands and wives. Bring it to bear as children and uh, fathers. And children particularly, particularly it's important to realize children are generally not addressed Though fathers are addressed in the Greek form of this, children are not addressed. You've been given a tremendous dignity and responsibility as children. And you're addressed as those in the Lord. You're addressed as those who would have regard for Christ. And that would be a reason why you're obeying your parents. And you're addressed as those who are made new in Christ. And so we we just don't need to lose this context at all. And... Verse 11, uh, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. This calls to mind Galatians 3 that includes also male and female, uh, Paul writing again. So there is this uh, unity, this mutual uh, uh, dignity that all of us have in all of our relationships. And we're going to talk about mutual submission uh, in a minute. 
So this is a background as well. We all are equals in Christ. If you're a slave or you're a master, you're in the fellowship of Christ and you're equals in Christ. Rich or poor, equals in Christ. Whatever race, equals in Christ. Uh, Verse 16 then, uh, he speaks of the uh, worship and how worship then must flow into and be connected to uh, this family relationship. Verse 17, of course, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wives, right? So obviously we're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, particularly our family relationships. These are entirely connected to the Lord Jesus and it's a part of our worshiping uh, our Christ. So no surprise that in this section, which includes the slaves and masters, but we'll deal with that next week, uh, the, the, the name Lord is used seven times. This is all about, it's just woven constantly in here. Everything's about the Lord. And this is interesting because in the Greek uh, lists, the Father is addressed as more or less the Lord. He is the head of everything. And now in the Christian context, he's put under the Lordship of Christ. Everyone's under the Lordship of Christ. Everyone's acting out of that lordship, out of submission, out of desire to please that Lord, giving themselves up to the Lord in their family relationships. And uh, so we, uh, we see that this whole section of chapter 3 feeds into and uh, supplies all that we need in uh, living out this new life. So... It is not simply do these things. This comes on the heels of the whole redemptive work and majesty and lordship of Christ that has been set before us. Indeed, he's been set before us as the whole Lord of creation, right? The Lord of all things. The Lord that's bringing all things to a final conclusion. It is to that Lord that you give yourself up to as husbands and wives and children and fathers. So... These are glorious things, as mundane as they may seem, of just daily life with one another. They partake of glory because we do it uh, for His sake. Well, the outline's uh, pretty basic, right? No uh, surprise. We'll do wives and husbands and children and fathers. uh, So the wives, of course, the controversial uh, passage in, in our modern context... Some would think that this is a return to a patriarchal and severe patriarchal uh, idea that's long gone. But let's look at this this word, uh, submit or subject yourselves to. It's interesting that he says to the wives, subject yourselves, and children, he says, obey, and slaves obey. So there's some distinction there. Uh, the idea is that with children and with slaves, you're going to be giving commandments constantly, but that's not going to be your constant relationship with your wife, unless you're very different than my household. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there. Now it doesn't mean that there is not submission, but there's the idea of willfully putting yourself in subjection to and lining up to the established order that God has given. 
And the idea of dignity is there because it is said in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ himself is subject to the Father. Christ, for whom all glory in heaven and on earth is given, is yet subject to the Father. So infinite dignity can belong to the person who's subject to another. Infinite dignity. That has nothing to do with it, okay? Nothing to do whatsoever. And in fact, this idea of submitting ourselves to one another is common in the whole Christian life. Uh, it, it begins with Christ himself in Mark 10, where he says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. His whole life of love is set up on that basis. I'm not here to serve. I'm here to lay myself down and serve your needs and submit myself to what you need. Okay? And so this is, this is exactly what all of us are to be doing for one another. As Philippians 2 speaks of counting one another as more important than ourselves. And several other passages talking about mutual submission, mutual humility one to another. And so the idea of this not being dignified or honorable, well, then none of us should be subject to any of us. I shouldn't be your servant. You shouldn't be my servant. We shouldn't be submissive to one another in any way. And it's interesting in the Ephesians section, uh, the parallel passage, it begins with be subject to one another and then wives, husbands, etc., um, so there, there's a context of mutual submission and mutual love. And as we will see, she doesn't submit to his tyranny. She submits to his love in this passage. She doesn't submit to his tyranny. She submits to his love. That is the, the Christian order here. We'll look a bit uh, more at that. Now, I want to talk a, a bit more about the the hierarchy or this idea of of husbands being uh, over their wives. And it's illustrated, I think, by a comment my wife made when all the men, this is when I got to sit out and not even, I didn't even participate in communion uh, a couple of weeks ago because I got to sit and I'm so thankful for Brian and for the elders and letting me just participate some Sundays like that. So we were sitting there and all the men were lined up uh, ready to receive the plates. And Kay leaned over and says, I love seeing those guys. They'll take a bullet for me. Of course, you guys might say, whoa, I'm not down here to take no bullet for anybody. <laughs> I'm just doing communion, you know, looking around. Um, <clears throat> well, this is, this uh, reflects something of uh, our discussions uh, that we've had about Women participating in that part. And the, the elders have, have discussed this, whether women and even children could participate in doing this because the point we're trying to make is it's everybody's. And if you can touch it in the aisle, can you touch it down front? You know, those kind of things. And, and generally, we didn't think it was a law necessarily from God. It's certainly the scriptures don't tell us. But we thought still it was good for men to take the lead and to offer that kind of uh, leadership and and subjection and servanthood, really. But for Kay, she said, I, and, and I'm not, I'm kind of, I'll get to the real point here, but she says, I like there being man ushers 
because I brought that up before. I said, you know, women, just as easy as men could be. She said, no, I want the protection of men. I want the sense of safety, you know. The, and, and here's the real point, though. It is true. If molten lava is about to destroy our island and my wife and I are here and the helicopter can only take one more person, who gets to decide who goes? Who gets to decide? I say I do. You may think I'm being a bully. <laughs> you may think I'm being overbearing. But I say I decide and it's going to be me. And you're getting on the helicopter. That's submission, okay? That's what submission is about. It's ultimately who decides who will die. <laughs> who decides Who's going to sacrifice for the other? And I think there's warrant for this because when he addresses the husbands, he says to love your wives using that word agape, agapao, that in Ephesians specifically applies to Christ. And this is probably more of a shorthand version of that. But that the love of the husband is the love of Christ which is, of course, a sacrificial love, a love that lays itself down. It's to that that she would submit. It's to that protection that she would give herself up to. And it's to that protection and that earnest desire for her good that every husband must offer her uh, to make that submission sweet and wonderful for her. Now, I would say in this submission, it's... It is at certain points there, even after all discussion, even after the husband acts like a good CEO and he gets everybody, he gets her opinion and he really listens and get, brings all of her gifts to bear and maybe he has to make a decision. And usually if you do this, almost every time you'll agree on something. But sometimes it comes to the point where he has to make the decision and perhaps she doesn't fully agree. Uh, but in all of that, uh, the desire is for unity. The desire is to move forward in, with, with unity and, and agreement in all that we can do. But at some point it may mean that she simply has to submit to his decision. But in the general course of things, the idea here is, is one of serving and honoring him and respecting him, a heart attitude, you see, of honor to her. So it would speak out against uh, her manipulating and undermining or especially taking advantage of a particularly kind and patient husband that she would use this against him and use these, the opportunity to get what she want, wants. And moreover, that she would not be a woman who cuts him down or mocks him or demeans him or is constantly critical of him, failing to compliment him, not encouraging him, being a grievous person to live with in that way, a constant nag. Interesting that First Peter 3 says, uh, even about an unbeliever, that you should win him over without a word. Significant, probably, that the last thing you want to try to use with the unbeliever is your words because you'll tend to jump on his case and, and nag him. And, of course, we all know the corner of the roof 
verses, right? Of Proverbs. Better to live on the corner of a roof than with a contentious woman. Another one says it's better to live in the desert than with a contentious and vexing woman. The words are like nagging, brawling, quarrelsome, and or angry, irritable, hot-tempered, ill-tempered. I like the NLT on that verse, uh, Proverbs twenty-one nineteen. Uh, it's better to live in a desert than with a crabby and complaining woman. Yeah, yeah. Who <laughs> wants to be crabby and complaining, right? Um, then there's the verse in Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen. Uh, a drip of rain. You know that drip? You've heard it. Maybe at night you've heard the faucet drip and you just <laughs> go up and try to turn it off, you know, just driving you crazy. said, that's what it's like to live with a contentious woman. And so these uh, are ways, I think, in which a woman by attitude and demeanor, you see, would not be submissive and would not be bringing joy and uh, rest uh, to his heart but would have an attitude, even if outwardly she's submitting, that this attitude would be one of dishonor. It's interesting, uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen speaks of elders, uh, of obeying your elders, and it says, let them do this not grievously, but with joy. And I would say the same for wives. Let, them, let their leadership be one that's not grievous, not vexing, but one of joy in your honor. Uh, to them. Um, then the husbands, interesting in the household lists in the Greek uh, forms of it, never mentions love. Never mentions love. Okay? So this is brand new. This is different. In fact, uh, it, the, the way the lists read, it's your rights, your rights as a husband, your rights as a father, your rights as a master. And you can call the shots. The shots were pretty absolute because he could have his sons put to death if he wanted to. Anytime. No recourse. If, if, if you so grieved your father, he just put you to death. Um, that's the kind of power. And that's the, the way the lists were more for, this is the way we need to have order in our society. And here are your rights. Well, here, he's addressing the husbands not about their rights, but he's, about, he's addressing them about their responsibilities. Husbands, love your wives. Love them. And the corollary, you don't be harsh with them. You don't do, be bitter or perhaps it means to become embittered toward them. But either way, to certainly be bitter uh, with them. And so to be, uh, th- this all the more, of course, brings to bear those words earlier in chapter 3, putting away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obs- obscene talk from your mouth, certainly would apply to a husband. And that he says, put on kindness, compassion, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Above all these, put on love. This, of course, is to be chiefly manifested by the husband and the love that he gives his wife. 
in the Roman Empire, the marriage was looked at as an unequal accord, and sometimes you would find love, but that wasn't the real issue. An unequal accord for legitimate heirs. And many times you'd find, the most you'd find on a headstone is, she never gave me reason to complain. (laughs) That was about the extent of it. Although, on occasion, there were statements of deep love, but it was very uh, far and few between. Uh, Few and far between. (laughs) And uh, this should be for believers the regular norm, the regular practice marked every household. Not just here and there, once in a while it might be found, but no, this is the mark of the household, is the love of the husband for the wife. And so it rules out uh, belligerent and loud, forceful, mean-spirited, argumentative attitudes, trying to win in arguments, as well ruling out being sullen and quiet as a reaction, uh, short, defensive, non-apologetic, never wrong, uncaring about her needs, her weaknesses, her fears, her desires, her dreams, uh, forgetting rights. That's what love means, actually. Forgetting your rights and thinking of how to lay myself down uh, for her. And it means even if not, if she's not submissive, you're not to be embittered against her. It's interesting in the Jewish writing, Sirach, uh, he says, a silent wife is a gift of the Lord. Okay, <laughs> just, just, you know, praise God. I have a wife that never talks, um, <clears throat> which is not good. That's not good. Uh, but I love my wife, and, and I, love, I love to hear her talk, actually. It's wonderful. Um, but he says this, if she does not uh, give you, she, if she does not go as you direct, separate yourself from her. If she doesn't do what you tell her to, divorce her, get away from her. Paul says, regardless, you love her. Maybe, maybe she is not obeying you. Maybe she is not, she's defying you and she is insolent. You love her. You love her. So how different is this, right, than the common society at the time? David Garland says, sulking, fuming, grumbling, or worse, lashing out in verbal or physical abuse, regardless of provocation, real or imagined, strictly forbidden, obviously, right? This love means an unceasing care and a loving service for her entire well-being. And he makes a great point here uh, that is good said here as anywhere. It's much easier to feel romantic love for someone when you do not live with them. We all need to remember that with the roving eye. Yeah, oh yeah. You can imagine anything with anybody. Because you don't live with them. (laughs) We're crazy. We're just crazy. Insane. Morally. Well, children are addressed, and notice it says, obey your parents. And children, would you read with me the next two words? Just the children, okay? You're looking at verse 20. Children, obey your parents. Let's read it together. In everything. Let's read it together one more time. 
in everything. Ah, ye. Hmm. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean outside if they command you something that's disobedient, like, Look, Mom and Daddy are getting ready, and we're outside this store, and we want you to go in there, and we want you to lift some gum. We want you to steal some gum. You can look at your mother and daddy, if they ever say that to you, and say, no, I cannot do that. I will not do that. Okay, that's the kind of command you disobey, right? So it doesn't mean everything, everything, but of course, most everything your parents will tell you will be for your obedience. But notice what it says, because this pleases the Lord. And this is a regular phrase used uh, in many places to talk about our our attitude toward God and our obedience to God, that we're to please Him in everything. Second uh, Corinthians talks about pleasing Him, whether here in the body or pleasing Him later. All of our life is here to please Him. And several passages talk about trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I'd like to suggest to you, uh, children, that there's this idea of you should be seeking to please the, the Lord Jesus by seeking to obey. And not just, and, and many children, they think of, I'm, I'm just going to do the bare minimum of what I have to do and no more. She told me to do this, that's all I'm going to do. Instead of thinking, how might I honor my mother and father in ways that they hadn't even mentioned to me? How... What's the way I could obey my parents more? And not only obey them outwardly, but to be concerned about the way you feel toward your parents. To be concerned about your anger toward your parents. To be brokenhearted that, Lord, forgive me that I talked back to my mother and father. Forgive me that I lied. Forgive me, O Lord, that I did not want to do what my mother told me. Help me, Lord, to want to obey her in everything that I do. See, that's a real heart, wanting to give yourself to Jesus and give yourself to obeying your parents. It's hard. But that's why it's so important to realize Jesus has to give us a new life, a new strength, a new ability to even obey our parents. And not just to do outwardly what they tell us, but to obey them in our hearts. You know, you've heard the illustration before of the child that was told to sit. And she didn't sit, and she didn't sit, and she didn't sit. And finally she sat down uh, because her, her mother was going to discipline her. And she sat down, but she looked up at her mother and she said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. That's not good, right? That's, that's not good. So you want to be concerned not just of how that the fact that I do what my parents tell me, but my heart attitude toward my parents. And that's where God's grace, God's strength has to come in and change us and make us different people. And He promises to do that. And so we really need to be warriors, little warriors for obedience, and realize it's Satan that wants you to disobey your parents. Satan, your enemy, the one who lies to us and Jesus calls him a murderer, killer from the beginning, he's the one that would want me to disobey my mom and dad. 
And it's real sad to read uh, some lists of evil things in the Bible. And let me just read this one to you from 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, He talks about how people are going to be proud and arrogant and abusive, ungrateful, heartless, slanderous, treacherous, reckless, conceited, uh, oh, and disobedient to their parents. Just look at the friends that disobedience to parents have, right? The worst, worst things that Paul can name, and he puts right in that list, disobedience to parents. And so we need to seek to avoid it. We can't be perfect in this, but we need to take it seriously, kids. And, and really, there's an honor that Paul, that therefore God, speaks to you personally. Uh, in the in the uh, Greek list of these things, the children aren't addressed. They don't they don't count. It's just what the father does. But here, children count. Children count, and your relationship to Christ counts. And you living to Christ means something. And and you can be a new person living out your new life in Christ. And then finally, of course, the fathers are addressed. And again. It's not just his power that's addressed, the absolute power you have over children. And very interesting here in Colossians 3, he is not so concerned about the dishonor of the children's disobedience, but he's concerned about the discouragement in their efforts to obey. Of all the things that he could say to fathers, he says, don't embitter them or the word provoke your children so that they become discouraged, so that they finally think, what's the use? What's the use of trying to do what daddy says? What's the use of trying to do what mother says? And so here, the father is given responsibility, exact command. You take in consideration your child's heart and concern in this matter. That, that was never said, never said in that way in these lists. You enter into her feelings, his feelings. And in this, you're under Christ You're doing it for Christ. You're seeking to be like Christ, you see, in the way you love them tenderly and care for them. And so, concern not for the disgrace of disobedience, but the discouragement in obedience. And the concern is that we don't belittle our children verbally or non-verbally, that they obey out of even a self-hatred. Sometimes kids end up doing that. Out of just pure self-hatred and avoidance, uh, they obey. But as Tom Wright says, to be loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, not for who they should have been, or might, if only they would try a little harder, become. But for who they are, loved for love, that you love them, and that's how God has loved us, right? Uh, 
to care for us. And so, not to deride their efforts, not to always be saying uh, that they always feel like nothing is good enough. We critical, never praising. It's interesting, a recent study on kindness discovered that, uh, well, this is, we all know this, but children are not born kind. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a, an interesting test that we uh, saw. We, we watched it. A, a child, a very young child, is given uh, three pieces of candy or something valuable, and they're told that you can either get the you can either get the five pieces, and the next person coming in will get five pieces, or you can get the two pieces, and the next person will get none. You know what they pick? Pick the two. They pick the two. They sacrifice themselves so the other person can have nothing. And they said it was only as, say, three, four, five years older that the children began to turn the corner, and this is a result of being taught kindness, that they not only would pick uh, the five, okay, so they got over that and they would let the other person have five, they would begin to pick the two and let the other person have the five. None of the young ones would do it. <laughs> Some of the older ones would. And this other study goes on to say, kindness is learned by kindness in the home, learned by small acts of daily kindness and tender love that becomes a part of the child. They don't know anything else but kindness. And that's the privilege we have of living out this new life of Christ, manifesting the glory of Christ in our homes. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that your transformation of us, your redemption in Christ, changes and can change everything about us, and particularly that it can even change our very families the way we treat each other, the way we regard each other. It even gives us a new capacity to love each other and sacrifice for each other and honor each other. Oh, Lord, we come one and all in all of our relationships. And we come, Lord, as some single who have uh, their relationship with their families still and they now don't, are not living in family, but they're living in the family of God. And they're living in relationship with many people in many circumstances. We know that there is that application as well for every one of us, whatever our circumstance, to live out this love of Christ, to live out this humility, uh, to live out the uh, regard for one another as Christ has had regard for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, continue to make us see the love of Christ, continue to enable us, even after many, many years for many of us, to grow in this grace and ask ourselves the hard questions and search our hearts and pray with the psalmist, search me and know me and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.